The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, our special guest is Dr. Lise Janelle. Lise is a friend and an amazing practitioner. She's a transformational coach, holistic chiropractor, which I just love that concept. She really focuses on the integration of mind, body, and spirit. Lise is the founder of the Center for Heart Living, and she's the author of a great book, Conversation with the Heart, Reveal Yourself to Yourself. Lise, welcome to Leading Conversations. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for having me on the line. It will be fun. It's great to have you here. So where are you this morning? I'm in Toronto. This is where I'm located. I'm based in Toronto, Canada. Ah, is it still winter? Actually, that's been the uh, the talk of the, the time because we had a snowstorm last week, and it's supposed to be spring or warm, but it's not yet. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, well, it seems to be a problem everywhere, and we could have a long conversation about why that might be uh, global warming. Oh, did I say that? (laughs) (laughs) However, we have a different conversation to have this morning. Um, So, you know, it's just so great to have you here. I am so um, appreciative of your message. I, I love the way you move in the world and the way you live your message, which is we must live a heartfelt life. And um, I'm curious, you know, I want us to get into, you know, how you teach this and, and why this matters. But I'm curious about what got you interested in heart work to begin with. Well, you are asking a good question. <laughs> Most people who have a mission in life, it's because they went through a journey that was challenging. And uh, I, I felt I had li- I've been living my life as though I felt something was wrong with me. I was angry. I was resentful. And one day I went to take this seminar that just transformed my life. And within a few hours, I went from feeling that life was unfair and things that happened to me were bad to within a few hours realizing the perfection of my life and I had such gratitude and it it so shifted my my outlook on life and healed my heart that I decided to make it my mission in life. So in 1989 I decided that I wanted to help heal the heart of millions of people. I wanted to help people, as many people as possible, get this experience that I got in 1989. Well, so, of course, I'm, we're all asking at this moment, what could have you have experienced that was so powerful in such a short time? Well, um, you may have heard of John Demartini, and yeah. he has a process called the Demartini Method, and it's a series of questions, which is kind of cerebral, mm-hmm. but... Um, and I've been using John's uh, work and building on it and be- bringing my own life experience and my one-on-one experience with thousands of patients I had to create a philosophy that I, I find is very powerful and direct. And is that as human beings, we live our life through our mind, our emotions, or through our heart. Mm. And when we are in our emotions, it's because we're not seeing the perfection of the situation. Because, and I like to use the yin and the yang to represent mm-hmm. perfection because it gives a good visual. And every moment, there's equal support and challenge that's present in a moment. And if we choose mm-hmm. to, we can embrace both sides and end up with gratitude. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I like to give the, it's a, it's a cute story, it's a corny story, but it's a perfect story. I like yeah. to give the story of the butterfly in the cocoon. Hmm. Scientist is observing a butterfly coming out of a cocoon, and it's a huge struggle. And he feels sorry for the butterfly and decides to cut the cocoon open. But because it does that, the butterfly has nothing to struggle against, and its wings do not develop. And it can never fly, and it dies like this. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the yin and the yang, the light, the light side could be the support, and the dark side could be the challenge. And that if you support too much, you actually create the challenge of weakening. And when you challenge a lot, you actually create the support of strengthening. So the art of living is to manage to support and challenge yourself, just at the perfect order of order and chaos so that we can maximize our growth and our strengthening so we can experience the most amazing life possible. And so the Demartini method, what it does is it helps us look at the emotions because the only reason why we have emotions is that either in that moment we see more pleasure than pain or more pain than pleasure. So when you start with questions, you engage the mind. So by using your mind wisely on your emotions, then you can enter your heart and experience gratitude. And you ha- one, you have, when you have gratitude, you have freedom. You have the freedom to unfold the life as you would love it to be. As long as we have resentment, we're stuck in that pattern. It prevents us from moving forward and experiencing the success we're craving for deep down. So what you're saying is that in that, that emotional experience... We can use our mind to actually shift how we perceive the experience we're having. Yes, but it has to go even deeper than that. We have, it has to shift, but not in our head, but in our heart. So that's hmm. the art of, of doing the transformation. Is that, And I work also with the subconscious mind, and I find a lot of people, like we're not aware of it, but right now, consciously, we are exchanging about 40 bits of information per second, consciously. Mm-hmm. Subconsciously, about 11 million. And in Between our sub- you and me? Yeah. Subconscious, oh there's all kinds of functions going on right now that we're not aware of. And as we live our lives... Subconscious mind is very powerful. It has a lot more power than the conscious mind. And if subconsciously, our subconscious mind is there to actually keep us alive. It's the part of the limbic system. And what it does is it will allow us to survive. So if the, the limbic system, the subconscious mind, has associated more pain than pleasure or more danger than security, it will prevent us from achieving something that consciously we would like to, to accomplish. I, I, have, I was in Chicago giving a keynote once to 350 coaches, so people were all about success. And I offered people, if they wanted to, I could test them to see if they were um, congruent with success. And out of at least 100 people that lined up, I would say there was only one person that was congruent with success. Subconsciously, they, they had associated been successful with being alone. Oh, wow. So, and you'll see that. Yesterday I was watching the, uh, the Master Golf Championship. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of the players, you see it, like, they miss, they always miss the hole by, like, a couple inches. And I know that often that's because the subconscious mind is afraid that if they win, there's going to be more pain and pleasure associated with winning. It sounds crazy, but... It's how it happens. For example, last March I was working with one of my uh, clients. She's a world ski cup champion. She was on the circuit, and two years ago she had surgery and was hoping for a big comeback, and nothing was happening. And after two sessions with me, we brought her back on the podium. And what I discovered with her is that when she was a child, her mother would hide her medal so that her brothers would not feel less than. Uh-huh. So she was afraid of winning, and that is such a common thing that happens. So it's important to go and find out our emotions because our emotions are create beliefs, and these beliefs run our life, and they prevent us from being successful. 
Well, that's fascinating, and you know, there there have been a lot of stories about athletes and how they get into the zone, and how um, when they're in that zone, nothing can touch them. You know, they are all about um, getting to the finish line, or um, scoring those points, or um, you know, making sure that they are not rattled by their opponent. And, you know, is this what has to happen? Is it the same thing that you're talking about? Yes, I find that the zone is actually when you're in your heart. When you're in your heart, you're fully present with what you're doing. So past and future do not exist, and guilt and fear don't exist either. So being in the zone is being so connected inside and to the heart that you are able to fully express yourself to the best of your abilities. You, like when we have these these beliefs, it's like you're carrying a, a bag of 100 pounds of rocks on your back trying to move forward. It, it makes it a lot harder. It's not a guarantee that if you're totally pure of all Pavlovians or, or beliefs that you wouldn't win, but you increase your capability hundredfold at the same time. Well, you have what you call the health triangle. You talk about this in your book. And you talk about the three sides of this health triangle being structural, biochemical, and emotional. Talk to us about that. Well, when I was a chiropractor, what I saw is that what I worked with was that the natural state of a human being is to be healthy, and people only have this ease when they have a block to the life force that we have inside of us. If I cut you right now, you're going to bleed. And after a little while, you get a scab. And after a little while, the scab will fall off and you have new skin. It's pretty amazing. There's mm. a life force inside of you. That's the difference between if you, if you have an accident with your car, it won't fix itself. But if we have an accident, the body will fix itself. So the, the body wants to heal. And the, the, the blocks can be a three-nature structural, can be... Your posture can be you had an accident, it could be a lack of exercising, it can be um, tight muscles from over-exercising also can also cause problems. So we need to be aware of the, the, the structure. And as a chiropractor, I definitely work with the alignment of the spine because it has major impact on health. Biochemically, everything we eat, everything we drink has an impact on our health. And the third aspect is our emotions. And I would say our emotions are almost 80% of the dynamics because our emotions, whenever we experience an emotion, the neuropeptides, the chemical reality that's created changes. You may have heard, for example, that people with multiple personality, in one personality they can eat strawberries, mm-hmm. and in the next personality they're deadly allergic to it. In one personality, they need glasses, and in the next personality, they don't. So it's the same body container, but different way of looking at life that creates different reaction in the body. So when I was a chiropractor, I stopped being a chiropractor in 2004. I started to be a coach, a full-time, I call myself a success coach or inner game coach. What I find is the natural state of a human being is to experience a true sense of success. And that happens when we're connected in our heart. When we disconnect from the heart, we go into our fears. So we can either live from our heart and experience success, or we can either live from our fears and experience failure. And the heart could be like heaven on earth, and our fears could be hell on earth. And we, it's really the art of navigating back to the heart so we can experience gratitude, because that's when you know you're in your heart. When you are grateful, you are in your heart. And when you are grateful... It feels like heaven. Mm. Well, you know, there's been a whole lot written about gratitude and happiness. And um, we know that the Dalai Lama has spent a lot of his time in the world um, helping people understand happiness and how it's not an outer game, it's an inner game. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying is that... um, when we are connected to the heart and we're in gratitude, then happiness is kind of the way of being. Yes. Definitely. It's the key. This morning I was just writing a blog on this, is that 
often we seem to wait for someone on the outside to come and rescue us, like our spouse often or a family member, and we feel they, they should be there to make us happy. I see that often. I, I, I work with couples sometimes. They come to see me, and they often a, a spouse, if they're not happy with their career, they have a long list of things that's going wrong with their spouse because they feel their spouse is not making them happy, when in fact what they need to do is look at their life listen to their dreams and aspirations and get into action on those dreams and aspirations. And the other part of that is making sure that they dissolve any belief that they are unworthy of love because that's the greatest challenge we have as human beings is we accumulate the illusion that we are unworthy of love. And when we have that, we disconnect from the heart. So it's twofold. First, you need to listen to your heart, to know that you are worthy of love and know your dreams and aspirations, then you get into action to make those two things happen because really, if we're honest with ourselves, we should be more in charge of making ourselves happy but ourselves. Like, why we, could we, why do we want to wait for somebody else? It's nobody else's job to pay attention mm-hmm. to ourselves but ourselves. Well, we'd like to try to make it somebody else's job. Yeah. <laughs> that would be easy, wouldn't it? That would be the easy way out, right? Then we don't have to take responsibility. Uh, wow. Well, you know, you have um, what, what you call the eight mirrors of self, and when we come back from this break, I want us to look at what those eight mirrors are and why they matter. All right. We'll be Great. right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations with our special guest today, Dr. Lise Chanel, author of Conversation with the Heart, Reveal Yourself to Yourself. So, Lise, let's talk about what you write about in your book, The Eight Mirrors of Self. You write Hmm. that the mirrors are a reflection of what we feel we are at that moment, but they are not who we are, which that's a fascinating concept to me um, because, you know, we... We believe that what's happening with us is who we are. So take us through the eight mirrors of self and talk to us about why they matter. Well, they matter because, for example, let's say you identify yourself with your career and you feel you're very successful in your career and all of a sudden you get fired or you lose your biggest client or you get sick and you can't work anymore. Who are you? That's a huge challenge to face. You see it all the time. Athletes, top athletes, all of a sudden they fall off the sexist bandwagon. Who right. are they? Right. People go through a huge identity crisis when, when that happens. So um, the other one is finance. If you define yourself with the material things that you have, with money, then the market crashes or you lose your house or you lose whatever part of you that you, you felt you were expressed through owning and you lose that physical thing, then you can, you can really lose who you are. Um, social, those are the, the, the networks you're part of or the, 
the impact you have in the world. Once I was sent a client because he was suicidal. He was in his mid-60s, and he had been born in a very uh, wealthy family, had been part of an international soccer um, team. He had been the youngest CEO of the company ever and married a beautiful woman, and he had two beautiful sons. And when he was 60 years old, he decided to start his own business, and within three years, he had gone bankrupt, and he wanted to kill himself because of that. Mm. And I asked him, I said, if you had lost everything because of a war, would you still want to kill yourself? And he said, no. And I said, why not? He said, because of what people expect of me now, where I should be in life. That, that was, for me, a, a big aha moment when I heard him say that. I were close relationships and family. If... If you connect yourself with your family or your spouse and then they leave you or someone dies, like my mother, we lost my brother when he was 21 years old. If my mother had identified herself as being a mother, what happens if your child dies? That's a huge challenge. Physical health and beauty. Again, if you're an athlete and you age and then you can't compete anymore, that's challenging. As a woman, often our power is in our physical beauty. What happens as you age? Spiritually, if you're part of an organization and to follow your heart, what feels right, you might sometimes have to change spiritual beliefs and you might lose people all around you. Your environment, your environment reflects who you are sometimes. If, you, if you're feeling chaotic inside, often your environment will reflect that. If you're not feeling good about who you are, you'll end up in a place that doesn't feel good around you. So the environment of our house, the environment of our clothes, the environment of our car, all these things, when you look at it, can often tell a lot about what's going on inside the person. Mm -hmm. And knowledge is also another environment. What are the things you listen to? Are there things that are inspirational to you? What kind of music do you listen to? Is it the music that uplifts or that music that uh, depresses you. So we need to be very uh, aware of the mirrors of the self. And you can tell a lot about someone by those things. And the key is, I I believe that's the principle of uh, non-attachment, the Buddhist principle of non-attachment. It's not that any of these things are wrong, except if you identify yourself with any of these things, Usually life tricks you and takes one of these things away just to test you so you have the ability, the opportunity to go back and ask questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I come from? Where am I going? So you can go back and really explore the self. So you just said something interesting that, you know, if you attach yourself to any one of these things, that life will take something away from you so that you can then test. So you're being tested about who you are, and you can ask yourself who you are. And that, it, that implies that life is something bigger than us. What's your perspective on that? Well, my perspective is that we are spiritual being having a human experience, and that through this experience, ultimately... For me, what enlightenment is, is learning to love ourselves unconditionally so we can love others. And our soul will send us support and challenge to help us uncover that truth, that ultimately we are worthy of love, we are love, and everybody around us is as well. And so this gets to your premise that we need to have a conversation with our heart mm-hmm. in order to find ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if I was having a conversation with my heart, let's say about my career or about my environment, um, you know, what would that sound like? Well, I can give you a story that's from my own experience. In 1989, I wrote down that I wanted to help heal the hearts of millions of people. 
And I started, I was very serious and dedicated every day of my life. Since 1989, I have been working towards making that come true. But I was quite a successful chiropractor. People loved me. I had amazing results. I worked 25 hours a week. I took 13 weeks off for a year. I traveled. I had an amazing life. Mm. But in 2003, I would be standing behind my patients and I'd be crying sometimes. I took my girlfriend out for her birthday, and right in the middle of dinner, I started to cry. That's when I decided I needed to stop. I needed to stop to go inside and listen. That's when I knew that I had to make the transition. My heart was calling me, and I had not been listening. Because, for example, let's say that you and I are in a relationship, and when you were speaking to me, I would not pay attention to you. I'd be looking around. I'd be doing something else. If we were in a relationship for a long time, you probably feel depressed. You probably feel like, I don't care about you and I don't love you. Mm. Well, our heart speaks to us all the time. And when we're not paying attention, the same thing happens to us. We start feeling depressed. Mm. So one way of lifting depression quickly is to start paying attention to our, our needs. The second way to look at it also is, this, let's say while you and me were speaking, you tell me that you like um, Thai food. The next time we get together, I make a reservation at a Thai restaurant. You will feel like, hmm, wow, she paid attention to me and she did something about it. So as you start listening and acting, you increase your self-worth because you're paying attention to your needs. And as you do this, the conversation becomes clearer and clearer. I find once we get on the journey of listening and acting on our heart's desire, the more connected we are to the heart, the easier it is to hear the voice inside that tells us, this is good for you, this is not good for you. So, you know what, I, I, as you were saying, um, one way to lift depression quickly is to start paying attention to the heart. And I know people who have been depressed, and what I've noticed is that taking action for themselves or um, even knowing what their heart is saying is tough for them. So how do you, how do you get them to the point where, you know, they can even feel like they know what mm-hmm. their heart is saying? Oh, I find there's different levels of depression. There's like very clinical, deeply depressed people. And I find, from my experience, people who are clinically depressed often is that they have been living in such high anxiety they've drained their adrenal glands and that it's very challenging. It clouds all their hormonal system. And often I've found um, that kind of depression connected to exhaustion and not listening and living in fear. So those people, it's more challenging for sure. They need to do more work with this. And I've worked with a lot of people. I don't treat depression, but when I help people connect with their heart, often as a byproduct, all these things go away. Sure, sure. So, what, and when you're working with someone, the fastest way towards being able to listen to the heart is gratitude. So often we feel depressed also because we feel life has been unfair to us. Just like I was telling you in 1999, I was quite upset with my life until I started to look at the big picture and I became so grateful. And we are depressed deep down, each one of us, whenever we feel we are unworthy of love. When we are unworthy of love, we're not listening to our dreams and aspirations. It all goes hand in hand. And what the danger we have as human beings is the following, is that it's kind of like the cosmic joke plays on us, a divine joke. Because we're spiritual beings, we come into matter, and right from the beginning, love has to come from outside of us. Mm. So if you're born, like we were born, most of us in the 60s and 50s and even in 70s, you were put on a feeding schedule. So you could cry and cry and cry. You've just been born. You're scared, you want your mommy, you cry and cry for her, and mommy doesn't come. So now you end up thinking, mommy doesn't love me, something is wrong with me, I'm unworthy of love, I don't even want to ask for what I want, because when I ask for what I want and it doesn't come, it's even more painful. So that's one of the times the belief starts accumulating. And then 
maybe there's another sibling and mom is busy with the other sibling and then you go to school and the little kids are mean to you. So we have so many opportunities to develop the illusion that we are unworthy of love. So as long as we are at the mercy of the outside world telling us that we are worthy, we're in deep danger of disconnecting from the heart. And when we disconnect from the heart, we feel depressed. Our heart wants us to know two things. First thing is it wants us to know we're worthy of love. Mm. That's one of the things that the heart is whispering all the time. We need to pay attention to. And whenever we don't feel that we are worthy of love, we need to make a list of those things and find the illusion in it. That's part of the work that I do. Is, uh, I use inner freedom method and uh, an ET work, and I help people find the moment where they store the illusion that they were unworthy of love and they're most of the time, they're so silly, like the one I was saying, like, mom is in the next room waiting for us, but we were on a feeding schedule, so we were not allowed to see mom, and we create huge, huge reasons why we're unworthy of love when it's not even true. So the first thing the heart wants us to know is we're worthy of love, and the second thing our heart wants us to listen to is our dreams and aspirations. But when we don't feel worthy of love, often we don't even want to do that. So listening to the heart, it happens more easily as we become more and more grateful once we start paying attention to ourselves. So it's baby step, baby step often, and you've heard that, I, I think Deepak Chopra has been doing it for a little while, having a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. That's one of the fastest ways I have found, like learning to have gratitude, not only for the support that came your day, but through that day, but also for the challenges that came. So at the end of the day, what I recommend my clients is they look for three to five things to be grateful for each day. And not only what was pleasant, but what was challenging and why would your soul want you to have that experience and find the lesson and be grateful because each lesson is guiding you towards learning that you are worthy of love. And the more you do this, the more you get in tune with your heart. I have one of my clients, she's, uh, she has MS, and at first she was not very happy. Then when I told her about the gratitude journal, she says, mm, I was having a really hard time. I was writing the same things over and over again. But after a while, because I had to do this exercise at the end of the day, I started to look for things to be grateful for. Mm. So her life transformed itself from I don't have enough to all the things she could be grateful for. And when she started to do this, her joy just started to happen. She, was, she still has MS, but her reaction to it is totally different. And she is, she is so much happier than she was before. Well, some of that is accepting what is, right? And then making choices about how you move through that, right? Or how you live into that. You well, know, it's... Yeah. Yes, there is, there is part of acceptance, but I, you bring it beyond acceptance to gratitude. Mm. Mm. I like that. Beyond acceptance to gratitude. So that makes sense because you can accept something and still not be happy about it. Exactly. Ah. You're a very smart person, Dr. Lee. <laughs> Well, we have more to talk about when we come back with Dr. Lise Tadell. Be right back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we're speaking with Dr. Lee Stinnell. Okay, Dr. Lee, so in your book, you write about relationships, and you write about two conversations with the heart. So what is important to be talking to your heart about? This is such a good question. I have a lot of women that come to see me Powerful, successful women, very often successful women in business have a challenge with uh, relationships. And what, what the two hearts are talking about is love is safe. We need to start with the premise that love is safe. And often as we were growing up, we observed our parents having fights or things happen where all of a sudden we start associating that love is painful. But... The definition of love, for me, this is my definition I came up for love, is that love is wanting the best for another human being while respecting our needs. Mm -hmm. So with that definition, love is safe, and it's also about understanding that when we're in a relationship, it's not about another being giving up who they are to make us happy. It's about a dance that we have with a friend where we want them to unfold their highest potential and they want the best for ourselves as for us as well. But while we share common values, common goals for the relationship, but be separate but united through common core values about relationships. And actually I came up with the five top values to look for if you want to consciously oh, love a relationship. Yes. Let's hear about those. The first one is, first of all, to look for somebody who's emotionally available. I see that so often, especially with women. If we're desperate, because often a woman will, will define her success in life if she's in a relationship. So if something is they're with someone, the person doesn't really want them, but they really, really don't want to be alone anymore, they'll try to make somebody want them, and that doesn't work very well. So the first one is to be with somebody who's emotionally available, who's just not finishing a relationship so they can be present to you, but also someone who sees who you are and sees your essence and say, like, wow, I would love this person in my life. And you feel the same about them. So being emotionally available to yourself and realizing I'm picking the right partner for myself. The second thing to look for is someone who can be your best friend, someone who has a good heart, and you can see how they're treating other people. The third part is to have someone who who share similar core values. Because with years of living together, if you don't have similar core values, it becomes quite challenging. For example, if one wants five children and the other one doesn't want any, that could be a big challenge. One likes right. to love to travel and you don't like to travel. That can be very challenging as well. If you want monogamy and the other person wants to have many relationships, that's going to be challenging. Like, we need to understand what's our highest priorities and, and commit to keeping that part of the, the deal when we choose the right person. The fourth one is someone who's willing to work at a relationship because especially in North America, we think, and they live happily ever after. That doesn't exist in any, anywhere in life. There's nothing in life that does not demand some work. And for some reason, we think that it should happen. And the last one is a good really, uh, sexual connection. And often we go for the last one and try to fit the other ones, and that does not work very well. So, yeah, and as I think about that, and I think about um, young people and how they move into relationships or, you know, have their first relationships or step into what they think is love, and it's so often because of just the, the physical, biological raging hormones is about the sexual connection which can be beautiful and um, often, you know, hides the other parts that, you know, they don't even think about. And no one teaches them, right? No one teaches them that this is important. And, and that, that part of a relationship I call infatuation. And infatuation always leads to depression. <laughs> mm. 
the more infatuated you are, the more you get resentful of what's going on afterwards. Love is quiet, and infatuation is so intense. We think it's love. It feels so good. It's such a drug. It's so powerful, but mm-hmm. it's not love. And I was in India in December, and it was quite interesting because I was speaking to a young woman there, and she they arranged her marriage when she was 23 years old. So over there in India, they use more of the mind to choose a partner. Mm. In, and so when they enter a relationship in a marriage, they know they're going to have to work at making this work. Mm-hmm. In North America, we have all our emotions going on, the infatuation, and we think it's love, and we think, oh, we're going to live happily ever after. That doesn't work. Right. Right, right, right. In a way, they have an advantage, and the advantage is, is, is very, for me, the, the most succinct way I can put this to have a conscious loving relationship is we need to want the best for our mate while respecting our needs. And our needs is being able to listen to our heart and know all the different environments of our life, the mirrors we were talking about, be actively involved in making ourselves happy, and then choosing the right mate is something smart to do. But as long as we look for somebody to make us happy, that won't work. It's like a dog chasing its tail. Mm. So the key is we work at making ourselves happy, not because we don't want love from the outside, but choosing the right mate is part of making ourselves happy. But a mate is not in charge of making us happy. Again, for me, it's connected to our childhood. Our first intimate relationship is with our mother. And our mom is in charge of making us happy. She keeps us safe, she changes our right. diapers, she feeds us, she plays with us. She's in charge of making us happy. And when we grow up, we the first relationship we had, we have often is we have a desire for that. We want somebody to make us happy in, in the infatuation period. And it happened. It's such a high. We feel like, wow. But it will not last because if we are trying to do this, and I like to exemplify it with, if a person is a circle and the other person is a circle, the two circles end up on top of each other. And for that to happen, one of the person at least has to give up on who they are. Mm-hmm. Or both people have to give up on so much of what's important to them to be in that relationship. And it always leads to huge arguments, to breakups, to resentment, or one of the person gets sick and die. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. So it is important to share common values, but not try to engulf our partner. Because I find in relationships there are two fears. One fear is being engulfed, and the other fear is being abandoned. And we oscillate between those two fears. When we're in the heart, we feel safe, we feel beautiful, we feel accepted. When we get out of the heart, we go into those two, these two fears. Well, and so do you believe that People can approach relationships with this intention that they can decide, uh, I want a certain kind of relationship. I want, as you describe it, a mature, conscious living relationship, mm-hmm. consciously loving relationship. Um, can, can someone decide this is what I want and then go looking for it? Yes. How do you make that happen? I have had the greatest success in my personal life and my life of my clients when I get them to feel the joy of knowing that they are beautiful and worthy of love. Mm. So that has to happen first. Yeah, that's the fastest way of making that happen. doesn't have to because you can find a mate if you're consciously loving. You're going to listen to the first the five top qualities to look for in a relationship. If you start using your mind and using this, you're actually setting an intent, attention in, into the universe to attract that. But I find the magic really happens when if you can feel joy around your heart and know that you are worthy of love and already be grateful that you know this person who can see you is coming your way, that's how you make it happen the fastest. And when you have blocks to knowing that you're worthy of love, watch what happens. You're going to attract lessons that if you pay attention to will show you where you have the illusion of being unworthy. If you take the time to dissolve these illusions, you increase your your self-worth, and then the people you attract towards you are even more in line with you. I find it's really a game of resonance. 
the higher we feel in resonance with our worth, the higher quality being we attract in our life. The more we feel bad about who we are, the more challenges we have we attract in our life. You know, it seems like either way, we're talking about ego. You know, whether we are full of ourselves or whether we are down on ourselves, somehow ego plays in this. Is is that true? Yes, our ego only happens when we get disconnected from the heart. Whether we're being self-righteous or, as John DeMartini likes to say, self-wrongous, I like that expression. (laughs) We're self-righteous or self-wrongous. We're disconnected from the heart because when we're in our heart, we're just grateful. We know who we are. And just like... When we can love ourselves the same way we want a beloved to love us, when we start to feel the joy of knowing who we are, then our life transforms itself so quickly and we attract it in our, in our environment. You can only be in your heart, or the heart will only reveal itself if you are in a state of gratitude. Yes, it's a, yeah. If you're in resentment, it's really hard to hear the heart. Can't. You're blocking the conversation. And the only reason why we are angry, like in relationship, the reason why arguments happen in a relationship is because at that moment, one or two of the partners feel, oh my goodness, I will never be able to be loved the way I want to be loved. That's why it is anger. And underneath that is Something must be wrong with me because I can never be loved the way I want to be loved. And underneath that is I'm unworthy of love. So when I work with couples and I see that they're angry at each other, I just know that at that moment they're having the illusion that they'll never be able to be loved the way they want to be loved. And what's fascinating, when I work with my clients at the subconscious level, you realize that the thing you blame your partner for not giving you is the thing you're most afraid they actually can give you. For example, wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Say that again. The, the thing we blame our client, our partner for not giving us, <laughs> is the thing we're most afraid of them giving it to us. For example, one woman brought me her husband. They'd been married 34 years. They were working with me. They were starting to love each other even more. But then one day she brings him to me because he can't make love to her. He's not able to have an erection. He can't make love to her. So working with her, I check her on the statement, I want my husband to make love to me. And she was not congruent with that because deep down she was afraid he had had a stroke a few years before that if he was making love to her and she loved him as much as she loved him and he died, she would be devastated. Oh. He had the same fear. So even though in a relationship it looks like something is wrong, it's always both people participating in it. Another one, her husband was not making as much money as her, and she was mad at him for not making as much money. But when I worked with her, we realized when she was 18 years old, her mother, once she had enough money, left her family and moved away, far away. Mm-hmm. So she was afraid that if he had enough money, he would leave her. And when I worked with him and checked him on whether or not he wanted to make more money than her. He was not congruent because when he was 18 years old and he had saved a lot of money, his parents took his money away, the money he had saved to buy himself a car and never gave it back to him. So even though a relationship looks like something is wrong, I guarantee you it's goosebumpy when you work with a relationship to mm-hmm. see that we are looking to our partner to heal ourselves mm-hmm. and take away the wounds that we have when if, in fact, we use our partner as mirrors and decide, and decide to look within ourselves, we can heal ourselves and then go deeper into love. Whenever there's an argument in a relationship, it's actually an opportunity to learn to love ourselves and our partner more deeply so that a relationship becomes more and more beautiful with time as opposed to more and more challenging with time. You know, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, because I'm aware of your work and I know how quickly... You can get to the core issues. And I think about, you know, a lot of these things you've just described are things that people uncover sometimes after years of therapy, et cetera. But in your work, it happens very quickly. I mean, you, you sometimes for you, it's one session or two sessions and there's breakthrough. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that is, is what really differentiates you, Lise. I mean, besides that you're just an amazing, intuitive, loving, helpful, strong healer, but you actually provide real practical results very quickly. And, you know, people are grateful and people walk away feeling like possibility exists. So it has been really a true privilege to have you here today, and I know that people will want to know more. So how can they learn more and connect with you? Thank you very much, Cheryl, for all these kind words. Um, To connect with me, you can go on my website. I have two websites. One is more personal. The other one is more business. One is called centerforheartliving.com, and the other one is Heart at Work Institute. And the technique that can help people quickly zoom in is called inner freedom method because it allows you to find and dissolve the subconscious beliefs that are holding you back from creating the life you would love to have. Well, you certainly have been a true example of creating the life that you want because you live it. And you are a gift to all of us. I'm very grateful for you. And I can't wait to see you soon. I hope we see you in San Diego or Cancun, somewhere in the world. And um, thanks again, Lise, for being here. And remember, everyone, to think big, because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.